This is Wyman and Bob on Seattle Sports, powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio. Streaming live on the Seattle Sports app and at seattlesports.com. Now, here are your hosts, Dave Wyman and Bob Stelton. What are they doing over there, Dave? Dave and I are just sitting here analyzing the fashion choices of everybody else in the building. We're kind of catty, aren't we, Bob? <laughs> <laughs> Bob and I would be those, uh, like the two old men from the Muppets, except we're a little younger than that. And we're dressed pretty crappy. I mean, I, <laughs> T-shirts and hats. What do you and... think? Uh, I'm thinking, I can only speak for myself. These tennis shoes I got at the Nordstrom Rack for 50 bucks. Yeah. They're really good. Best tennis shoes I've had. Just <laughs> Nike. Uh, pants, you know, probably purchased at Costco. Yeah. <laughs> uh, same with the socks. Underwear. I probably spent, you know, the most expensive thing on my body right now is probably underwear. Really? It's the most important. You went with some highfalutin brand, oh, huh? Yeah. You gotta, You're not a Fruit of the Loom guy. You're going with it. There, Bob. <laughs> uh, yeah, and then I got a T-shirt that has uh, some... Plain Washington. Yeah, plain Washington. Apparently that's, uh, yeah, it describes me and the way I dress. Yeah. How about you, Bob? I would well, value, this... first of all, I would value this, probably this ensemble here, maybe $120. Yeah, mine might be a little more. This, yeah. is, this Banana Republic, this is probably 60 bucks. Yeah. Can These you... are just regular Levi's, probably 60 bucks. Can you describe it kind of like a Jay Peterman? <laughs> this gem is made of 100% cotton. <laughs> yeah, when, when one wants to be active yet professional at the same time uh <laughs> the hat probably 30 bucks i think somewhere the most there. expensive yeah so let's see that's probably 90 the, the, yeah so shoes what are these these are vans these are probably 45 50 bucks yeah. and then the socks costco certainly bob yeah. and i we can be quite catty at yeah. uh you know, but that's only because we dress the same. Lefko dress dresses fine. He's kind fine. of in the same. He's well, in the Lefko, same mode as we what are. He has yeah. like half of his stuff is his former favorite it's logoed. Team. Yeah, yeah. No, it gets expensive on the bottom. My my outfit's kind of expensive today. So. Is it? Yeah, yeah. You're, but you're wearing a t-shirt. Yeah, the pants are uh, very nice. They're very nice, and the uh, the shoes are pretty expensive. So are they? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. What about the socks? Costco? You get, where do you get those? Uh no, these are like Dick Sporting Goods. You know, like a little. Five pack of Adidas or whatever. All right, yeah, yeah. So it's the same world. Same it's, world. You go to Costco uh, socks, right? It's oh, certainly yeah. not number one draft pick wardrobe level. <laughs> it's not like an eight hundred dollar t shirt. Why are your like pants? And I didn't even notice what you're wearing. What are, What are they? Oh, they're very nice. Viore, very comfortable. Yeah. Oh, I've yeah. got I've got some of those. Yeah, yeah. But okay. I mean, it's like yeah. George draping himself in velvet. They're that yeah. yeah. <laughs> the velvet fog. Yeah. So yeah, there's somebody in here with uh, the overalls on. And yeah, we were like, "Wow, that's interesting." Yeah, he's, he's looks like a conductor be... on an old time railroad or something. <laughs> I don't, I don't know what's going. We should get him one of those engineer hats. <laughs> no, <laughs> it's just and it, a bell. Ding, he, he's ding, the same person ding. who will roll the pants all the way up, like mm-hmm. kind of mid shin, roll up the jeans, and then is where he's got had the mullet and he's got the porn stash. I'm not sure what's happening there. I think some say hipster, but yeah. it's. Uh, yeah. Well, yeah, and yeah, we can be we can be kind of critical, kind of catty for two guys that probably don't spend a yeah, lot of money we, on their clothes. But we've got a lot right. of opinions on fashion. That's okay, <laughs> men and women. <laughs> that's the beauty. Yeah. We we don't discriminate, Dave. That's right. No. <laughs> Old, young, men, women. We got comments. Well, God. here's what my wife does with me. If I tell her either those shoes, well, usually I'll say this: those are ridiculous shoes. You know, and she'll say. 
Thank you, because that means that they're really good. And then we'll go out, and all of her girlfriends are, oh, my God, I love those shoes. I'm like, those are the dumbest shoes I've ever seen. <laughs> I mean, the shoes aren't, they're not meant. She's got thick skin. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, she just knows that I'm, she doesn't listen. <laughs> she doesn't listen. She She's only like, listens to like 50% of what I say. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, but she always thinks that if I tell her those are ridiculous shoes. That they're you, a hit. Yeah, she's like, good, I know my friends are going to like them and most people are going to like them, just not you. And the reason why I don't is because I know that she's not going to be able to walk. <laughs> yeah. I'm always like, you know, we have to walk quite a bit. Are those the best choice? That's yeah. all. the only reason I ever say. It's not visual. It's just about comfort. It's practicality. Well, think about when shoes first came about. Like, it was just solely to protect your feet. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. And so that's kind of how I try to approach it. Like, that's mostly what it's about. Yeah. You're, you're more practical. I don't Your care approach. what's on the outside, <laughs> I mean, the bells and whistles and all that what stuff. What the logo, what the name is. Right. You don't care. You and your Gucci slippers and all that. So, all right. By the way, 206 says, Dave is right. Good underwear is the key to a good day. Well, I mean, <laughs> yeah. And do you have your favorite? Is it 206? Uh, 206, yeah. 206, you got your favorites? You know, I got kind of a rotation. The ones Favorite that, underwear? Yeah. You know what? Though somebody was once, once made the point. They should all be your favorite underwear. Okay. Yeah. Or your <laughs> best. Fair point. I got my best underwear on. They should all be your best. There shouldn't be bad ones. Yeah. I think that was from Modern Family. Was it? Yeah. Where, where she says, Jay, they should all be your your best, your favorite. But uh, that's yeah, that's fair. always a good start. And then Fred and Birch Bay said, this segment rivals Salk talking about shaving the hair on his back. <laughs> oh, come on. Was man. that really a conversation on air? Was he talking about that? How do you get that done? No, nobody wins with Somebody that Somebody has to do that for you. All right, we'll move on from that. We'll move on. Uh, we touched on this a bit yesterday. We didn't get to all the rules, but there's there's going to be rule changes in baseball we're going to see this year. And maybe some will have a huge impact. Maybe they won't have much of an impact at all. We talked about the shift yesterday. And and we talked about, just for those that didn't hear it, just a quick overview, you know, that there was a good article written on uh, ESPN, and it explains what the rule is, explains how it'll be enforced, and then what they're trying to change with the rule. And when it comes to the shift, they said the league-wide batting average was down to 243 in 2022. That's the lowest since 1968. Since 68, that is the lowest. So something had to be done. Yeah, yeah. And then they talked about in the article, a lack of singles in particular is at the heart of the decline with the 2022 rate of 5.33 per team, the third lowest in MLB history in 2021 and 2020 seasons, filling the two spots ahead of it on the all-time list for fewest singles. So it's just been trending, you know, whether it's singles, batting average in totality, they're trying to change that, get more action in the game. So that's the reason for the shift. Um, pitch clock. We didn't get to this. Now, pitchers will have 15 seconds to throw a pitch with the bases empty, 20 seconds with a runner on base, and hitters will need to be in the batter's box with eight seconds on the pitch clock. So you see some of those guys out there, they're un- unstrapping each glove, they're taking the helmet off, they're moving this around, they're, they're practice swaying. I mean, it's an eternity up there. Yeah. Um, and here's how it'll be enforced. So if a pitcher has not started the motion to deliver a pitch – before the expiration of the clock, he'll be charged with the ball. So you better be in your motion. Um, if a batter delays entering the box, he's going to be charged with a strike. So this this will be interesting to see yeah. how they enforce how right how uh, uh, steadfast are they going to be? How are they, how, are right. they going to is there going to be slack? All right, it was supposed to be eight seconds. It's nine. Go ahead. Yeah, well, or like when did his motion start? 
And, yeah. you know, and the guy could say, well, I did my rocking thing. And he's like, no, you did. I mean, I feel like there, some of that's going to be let go a little bit, right? I mean, yeah. you, you kind of have to. Guess they're going to figure it out as they go because everybody, everybody's motion is different on the mound. We see the guy on the Astros who looks like he's rocking the baby, yeah. rocking back and forth. And then he takes like three steps. Yeah, so he's in his, I would say this, I would say you've got both feet on the rubber. Maybe the second you move a foot, maybe the second you, whether it's rocking back and forth, whatever you do, or yeah. the second one of those feet, I don't know, I'm guessing. But, yeah, that's going to be interesting to see how it's enforced to somebody. Does the ump just put the hands up and go, oh, sorry, nine seconds, that's a strike. Yeah. You know, are they going to review the clock? Was it at eight seconds? Was it at nine? It's well, going to be weird. Could it be controversial? You know, oh, yeah. because at the end of the game, you know, you could say, well, that was a crucial at bat at that point. And if he hadn't gotten the extra ball or whatever, you know, and if it comes down to that, I mean, I, I think that's their biggest nightmare. Like yeah. they don't want anything like that to happen. They're just trying to shorten the game, which, again, I'm all for getting rid of all the little, you know, like you said, the guy stepping out of the box and fixing his gloves every time. I mean, come on, let, let's let's cut that out. But, you know, trying to take it from a three-hour game to 2.15, to whatever it's just not interesting to me. I don't – that's not why I watch baseball yeah. because I need to get it done in two minutes and or two hours and 20 minutes. I, I watch it because – and I hope that it goes into extra innings at the end because that means I've been watching a really good game and it's a time well invested. Yeah. So, no, I'm with you. I think this is all about appealing to a younger audience that doesn't have mm-hmm. the attention span, that, that wants, you know, constant entertainment – I get what you're trying to grow your sport. You're trying to appeal to an audience that otherwise isn't invested in your product. So you're saying, yeah. okay, they think it's too long. They think it's too slow. There's not enough action. Here are the steps we're going to take. I just don't think if if they're saying the average, and I don't even know what it is. Let's say the average game is two hours and 30 minutes. And with all of these changes we're making, now the average goes to two hours and 10 minutes. You've lopped, lopped off 20 minutes. I don't think if you're a fan or you're a person out there that looks at baseball and says it's slow, it's boring, Oh, but it's 220 now? Now I'm in. I don't think no. that's reality. Yeah, I agree. And I, I do think, and I, I think that they're trying to, and and why? let's hope that this is how it, it gets enforced, that they are trying to speed up the game, but not to a point where it's going to piss off their existing fans. Right. You know, right. and that's where they really have to walk kind of a, a fine line. And I think there's going to be a lot of conversations. There's going to be some things that come up that we didn't even anticipate. Yeah, they'll work. They're going to. Yeah, you're exactly right. They're going to figure it out as they go. Because, yeah. you know, it says as far as the pitch clock, each stadium will have two clocks located behind home plate on either side of the umpire with two more will be required in the outfield on either side of the batter's eye. So batter will be able to see the clock. Pitchers will be able to see the clock. They're going to have two clocks on in each area, so four total clocks there. Um, I guess in spring stadiums may only have one clock in the outfield, but will otherwise be fitted to the same exact parameters as, as Major League Baseball ones. Each umpire will be equipped with technology, which will inform them when the pitch clock has expired. And for the first time, umpires will have the ability to speak with each other via communication devices without having to meet in the middle of the field. So yeah. I guess they'll have a little okay. something so, will buzz them, I guess. That's so eight seconds to... or something, and then they'll, Jerry, what would you see? They, they can yeah. just do it from wherever they're at. Well, I wonder if also that that ends up taking more time because they're like, no, I just, you know, you just, the clock expired, and then the guy has a conversation. Are they right back on the clock so it doesn't lose any time? Because every time you have one of those violations, does that take up extra time? I mean, those are the kinds of things we'll we'll find out. 
Um, but again, yeah, I think I, I think that they they may have found a way. We'll see how it gets enforced, and there's going to be things that that pop up. But um, just don't you know don't irritate your existing fans because yeah. you know my my theory, and I don't know if it's just mine. I think maybe other people have thought of this too. Maybe not, but you know, you sort of to me, you grow into being a baseball fan mm-hmm. to me i i think it's something you get more patience you know the the older you are and you're less hyperactive and you're less you know add i mean you just sort of relax it's a great you know so i i feel like no matter what people i mean look look at me i mean a lot of it's because of radio but i think i would have been a baseball fan in my later years no matter what because it's just it's a it's a nice like i always say it's a nice date to go on or yeah. if you want to go with your wife or your your girlfriend or whatever or your friends you can sit and catch up and you know it's it's a nice event and i never sit there and go oh man i wish this game would go would go faster um it's just not not part of it but uh, if they can if they can pull this off without bothering the you know the the existing fans i'll, I'll be i'll be excited but to me the the biggest thing even even the bigger bases, that's that's probably going to be pretty significant. There's going to be a bunch of times we come in and talk about that. But to me, the shift and and the hitting and more offense, I mm-hmm. think, is is a brilliant idea. Yeah, and people are texting in, and you guys can text in eight six six nine seven nine three seven seven six. Powered by Mac and Jack's Brewing Company. Uh, texting in, it's not about length of game; it's about the pace. Well, no, you're you're half right. It is about pace, but it is also about the length as well. Because they even cite it here. The average time of a nine-inning major league game in 2022, and this is under the what they're trying to change mm-hmm. portion of the of the uh, rules here, the average time of a nine-inning game in, in 2022 was three hours and four minutes, and which is actually a six-minute decline from 2021's all-time high. Mm-hmm. So it was three hours and ten minutes in 2021. Uh, but the time of game has been rising consistently since the first – uh, crossing the three hour since first crossing the three hour mark back in 2014. So they are trying to shorten the game. That is right. absolutely part of it. Yes, pace is part of it, but they are trying to shorten it. Um, so they're they're talking about, and then they go on to talk about what it's done in the minors and what players are saying about it. All right, so here's another rule: pickoffs. We've seen we've seen this. I feel like not quite as much in recent times because you don't have those those prodigious base dealers the way you did when Ricky Henderson and these guys were out there where it still happens. Certainly when a, when a pitcher will have a runner on first and you see him just thrown over there just repeatedly, repeatedly uh, pickoffs are, uh, they talk about disengagement. They call it disengagement. So they say uh, pickoffs are one version of a disengagement, which consists of any time the pitcher makes a pickoff attempt, fakes a pickoff, or simply just steps off the rubber for any reason, as well as when the defense requests time, pitchers are allowed two disengagements per plate appearance without penalty. So any of those things, whether it's a infield comes in for a meeting, pitcher steps off, pitcher throws to first, you get two of those per batter. So you can't sit there and keep throwing to first base because Julio's over there and you know he's going to steal and you want to keep him close to sec. You want to keep him close uh, so he doesn't get such a good jump. Well, you got you got two shots there. I get that that does take a lot of time up, and that's probably one one area that you would definitely focus on. But you're already giving the base stealers bigger bases. Yeah. I feel like with this only two that that's that's almost not fair. 
too. Because you're going to see guys with ridiculous leads after those first two, right? Maybe so, yeah. yeah. I mean, and the, that rule resets. So if Julio's on first, steals second, and the same hitter's up, now you still get two more. Yeah. So they, they they specify the rule resets if a runner or runners advance a base within the same plate appearance. Mm. So okay. Well, yeah that that's that's a little bit there, but yeah, I just I'm curious also, and I was listening to Son of Augustuson on with uh, with Bump and Stacy talk, you know, run through all of these things, and what I think the one thing that popped in popped into my mind is how is this going? Because I asked Tom Murphy about it, and he's like, well, for me, it, it's not, not really a big deal. There's no big adjustment. I like it when it goes fast. No, no problem. But how do the pitchers, you know, after you get that second move to first base and you're pretty sure that guy's going to steal, how do you concentrate on your next pitch? How do you process all of that stuff when, you know, you have these rules to, yeah you know, what if something happens that, you know, is sort of out of the ordinary and boom, that clock's gone and you forget about it. Or you probably see it early in the season. People aren't there. Everybody's yeah. going to have to adjust and maybe they will be a little more light with it. They won't be so stringent. I mean, who knows? We're all guessing, but yeah, it's going to be a huge adjustment, I would think. Well, and maybe hitters too, you know, with the hitters up, anybody that has to, to deal with the, the timing of it and just have to get used to it. Right. And so, you know, I, I haven't watched a, a lot of the minor league games. You know, I usually just see highlights and stuff like that. But it doesn't seem to be that different. Um, so maybe it's something that we don't really know about. But I think, you know, it'll it'll be interesting to see what kind of pops up just out of the blue about, oh, we didn't think of this. This might, you know, affect this whatever. And uh, I think the more action, the more scoring, the shift thing is definitely – a great deal. I think well, that's going to be the biggest. Think about the pickoff because, again, let's say Julio's on first base and, uh, I don't know, Ty France is up at the plate. They they throw twice to second base. They don't have any more. At that point, if you're Ty France, you're pretty you're feeling pretty good you're going to get a fastball mm. because they're they're thinking, all right, I can't, I can't throw back to first base, and he's probably going to go here. I'm not going to throw an off-speed pitch, or I'm not going to bury bury a ball in the dirt and hope the catcher comes up with it. He's going to, we're just going to give him the base. So yeah. that that presents an advantage, you would think. That's now we'll, we'll see, we'll see what the strategy is like. But I, if I'm the pitcher, I'm, I'm up there thinking this guy's going to steal now because I can't throw to first. I can't go off speed here. I got to give my catcher the best chance I can get. I got to fire a fastball up here. Yeah. So maybe Ty, the hitter is now sitting there going, okay. I'm sitting on a fastball right here. It's just about location. So it's it, it feels uh, yeah. like an advantage. It feels like the pitchers are at a bit of a disadvantage there. Huge, yeah. Well, and then, I mean, what after your second throw over there to Julio on first, what does his leadoff look like? <laughs> I mean, it could be because you have to throw it to the catcher next, right, no matter what? Yeah, I, yeah, I suppose so. I yeah, mean, that, that's, that, that's the way it reads. That you get, you get two disengagements. Right, it says yeah. pickoffs are one version of a disengagement, um, and they specify so any these are diseng- it consists of any time the pitcher makes a pickoff attempt, fakes a pickoff. We've seen them, you know, fake a throw, they don't do it, right. or just simply steps off. Those mm-hmm. are all disengagements, and they're allowed two per hitter. Two per hitter. Yeah, yeah. So, like you said, in that scenario, first of all, yeah, probably going to get a fastball. It's a good point, but then. You know, I don't know. What is Julio's? Is he? Is it twenty feet? <laughs> I mean, he can't. If they can't do anything, I don't know. I that that one seems kind of fishy to me. But 
but yeah, it'll it'll be interesting to see some of the guys, and also I'm sure that that um, you know our guy Goldie and you know everybody Rick Riz, they'll be talking about you know the guys uh, that are going to you know most benefit from the shift going away, and that's where I'm really excited to see uh, the the difference in the game. Yeah, uh, and then it said you know as I said they've been trying these out at the minor league level. Um, said what it's meant in the minors in in 2021 when the pickoff rules went into effect in single A and high A stolen base attempts skyrocketed. Uh-huh. Doesn't give a number. Just says in 2022 as the rules expanded to every league, baseball saw big gains throughout the minors. So apparently that particular rule had a very big impact. More action. They want more action on the base paths um, and all of that. So I guess mission accomplished in their minds there. And then the bigger bases we talked about, they're increased from 15 inches to 18 inches. They're trying to, uh, what they're trying to change, the increase in size of the bases should reduce injuries around them while increasing stolen base attempts. What it's meant in the minors in AAA, the first season of larger bases didn't create much of a change on its own, but in the lower levels, bigger bases combined with the rules about pickoffs saw large increases in steals per nine innings, even combined with the disengagement rules through uh, though MLB doesn't believe either change will lead to teams being unable to control the run game. Injuries were reduced around the bag after the increase in the size of the bases uh, after they were instituted in the minors. So that's that's how it's worked out. It's a, it's an interesting article. If you want to read what the motivation is for these, what the rules are, first of all, what they're hoping to accomplish, and what it did at the minor league level when they tried these things out. It's a pretty interesting read. So for baseball fans, check that out there. Uh, and then there's another rule about position players pitching, and we can get into another time. Not a not not a big one, but yeah, I'm excited to see what it all means. It's going to be very interesting to see what it all means. All right, coming up, uh, the Seahawks have a chance to build a Super Bowl caliber defense in one off season. We're going to explain how they can do that. Coming up with Wyman and Bob. This is Seattle Sports Station on 710. Wyman and Bob. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio. On Seattle Sports and the Seattle Sports app. <laughs> hey, one uh, one bit of clarity on the rules as we were reading through them here on the pickoff, because you were asking about, all right, well, after two pickoff attempts, the runner can, you know, basically jog to the mid- in between home or in between first and second base. They can't throw it a third time. They just have to get them out. Got to get them out. Yep. Yeah. So in uh, here's how it reads. How again, this is I would advise checking this out on ESPN because they did a nice job. The new rule, how it will be enforced, what they're trying to change. They they do a little paragraph on each one. But uh I skipped over how they'll how it'll be enforced apparently. But um so how that one, the pickoff will be enforced. After a third step off, the pitcher will be charged with a balk unless at least one offensive player advances a base or an out is made on the ensuing play after the step off. So yeah. basically, Julio's on first. You've thrown over twice. Maybe he gets a bigger lead this time. You throw over again. You better get him out. Otherwise, he gets the base. Right? Yeah. Yeah. So um, also, uh, I, I texted Brandon, son of Augustuson, and uh, he said, I don't think there's any rule on catchers backpicking runners also, which we may see more of. So mm-hmm. like, you know, you see Murph or, or Cal throwing down firing, first, yeah. Yeah, firing it down. So that'll be, yeah, that'll be interesting uh, how how that plays out. But uh, yeah, so third time, yeah, I thought there had to be an answer to that because I mean, yeah. gonna, I'm going to go halfway between first and second. Yeah, and you just, can't throw it over here. Yeah, I'm just going to go ahead and jog all the way over to second with a yeah. 
So there's that third one. You just better make sure you get them. Yeah, exactly. Otherwise, uh, there you go. All right. So uh, turning our attention to the world of, of football, if the Seahawks can identify as a as a running team with a great defense like they did early, like Pete and, and John really built this team to be, it, it would seem that, that, you know, to do that, you're going to have to draft well, certainly to fill the spots you, you have currently of need, which most seem to sit on the defensive side of things. You need to build that. That defense has been problematic for years. years. Yeah, it really has. And it's it's interesting because uh, it's Pete's kind of it's kind of his thing man well why why do you think that is though i mean we have always said that that's always been the saying this is pete's defense pete's a defensive mind that's what pete wants he wants to just run the ball three yards a cloud of dust and play great defense and have a low scoring game and can't win it in the first second or third quarter you win it in the fourth quarter that's all that's the mantra that's been pounded into our heads for over a decade now yeah so what what this isn't a last year thing it's not a year before last this has been a number of years, this defense has not only not been close to what they were when they were the Legion of Boom, they're they're amongst some of the worst defenses at times. I mean, they, they were off to that historical start. Was it the pandemic year or maybe it was the year? I can't remember. We were looking at the numbers and the, yeah, 2020. the, the yards allowed per game and all that. I mean, they were like in the historical range of inept. Yeah, How was, did they fall so fast? They were on pace to have more yardage than 13 and 14 combined gave up. Yeah, entire seasons of 2013 and 14. So, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I is it maybe that did Pete kind of step away a little bit, or you know, maybe he's not as involved. I don't know. I mean, how does it all of a sudden go? I mean, I think you have to have the obviously the right kind of players. But the thing that was always said, just in general, about that defense is everybody knew what they were going to run. Yeah. They just executed it better than everybody else. And there I was think, no illusion of complexity there. Dave. Yeah, no, there wasn't. It was very simple. And they were like, yes, this is what we're playing. I mean, they could have shouted at the Broncos in that Super Bowl. Yeah, we're running cover three here. Yeah. You know, uh, we're running man to man underneath and, you know, zone over the top or whatever. It, it, it would have been, it wouldn't have made a difference. So, yeah, it's, uh, I wonder about that. And then, then, you know, the running game, you mentioned that as well. And that's where, you know, we talk about, they they have these four picks in the first couple of rounds. Yeah, what if they what if they do use it a little bit on the running game, which would be maybe center guard. I don't know if they need to pick a running back, but if they see somebody in the late second round, maybe they think that uh, that would be a worthy grab there. I think seventh round is the hot round these days. Chris Carson started it, and Isaiah Pacheco is yeah. just reinforced. Just get your running back in the seventh. What was Elijah Mitchell? <laughs> I think he was fifth or sixth. Yeah, he's highfalutin. Yeah, you got to get the seventh rounders. But um, yeah, I mean, if they if they did that, they were number four in the league rushing in 2013, the year they won the Super Bowl. They ran for about a 137 yards a game and that was you know they had a good game going on philadelphia at that time was running 160 buffalo 145 san francisco ran the ball really well but they had a good run game and then they were pretty much great at every defensive uh, measurement except for i remember sacks they didn't have a ton of sacks it was somewhere Mm -hmm. 40 to 45 wasn't like a big deal big part of it but yeah so that's where you think okay that's that might be, but you know, you could go the other way because I went back and looked at, you know, the the Denver how that transformation from Super Bowl forty eight they get they have the number one offense Peyton Manning they get entirely blown out by the Seahawks two years later they have the number one defense or they were number four in points but number one in total yards and and they did that 
with free agency, a lot of it. Demarcus yeah. Ware, Akib Talib. Mm-hmm. Uh, they got a linebacker named Brandon Marshall that they brought over. That's that right. That's really right. good. Yeah, so they did a lot of that. In, and now they did draft Von Miller, but they didn't go heavy draft um, that year. They went more in the free agency market. I think, you know, as far as the who they drafted at that time, only over two years, only eight of the 15 players they selected were defensive players it was more that they went out in the market free agent wise and got some really good football players so would you and we're guessing what the seahawks approach will be but with a number of spots presumably that need to be filled whether we're talking about tackles whether we're talking about edge rushers or linebackers there's a need for all of those you see it being more of a mix I, i almost feel like there's a danger in counting on the draft again the way it worked out. I just I feel like that's such an anomaly the way the draft worked out for him this year that you don't want to be fooled into, oh well, let's just do that again. It'll just work out that way. You, you plug all these holes with rookies and maybe some pan out and maybe some really struggle. And I, I, I see them doing more of a mix. Maybe they go out and sign a free agent defensive tackle, you know, maybe they go out of a free yeah. agent linebacker, but they also draft, you know, those positions as well. Sort of like we were talking about with quarterback. Maybe they draft some some guys they look at and go, yeah, let's let this guy learn. We're going to put him on special teams. We're going to give him a run here or there. But let him learn under this guy for a year or so, and then they're going to come into it. Like Jordan Brooks kind of did when Bobby and KJ were here. Yeah, well, and, and look, every year, I mean, we get all excited about the draft. And that's, you know, that's cool. You These guys become your guys. And I don't think it's nearly as, uh, you know, bright and shiny when you sign a guy off another team like the Philadelphia Eagles did with Hassan Reddick. Yeah. You know, and he got he had 16 sacks and played really well in that, that Niner game. So, but that's half of it. You know, uh, the draft is only one half of it. The other half is going and getting free agents. And, you know, and that's a... To me, a little bit more exciting because you know what exactly what you're getting. You know, if you have you know one particular player that's drafted and you really like him and he washes out, well, that's pretty standard. Yeah. I mean that that happens all the time. But you know, you like to think that when you get a free agent and bring him over, and really for like a Chen and Nwosu, the the deal they signed him to. I mean, he had I think he had five and a half sacks before. That was his highest total before he yeah. came in here. And what do you have? Did he have nine, ten, something I like think that? He, yeah, I think he was around nine. Let me look it yeah. up for sure. So, I mean, you know, that's, that's the kind. And you got a good amount out of that guy. So, you know, it's just that you didn't have a defense that was performing really well. They were at times. And when they were, Uchenna was, you know, on fire. But, you know, if you can. If nine you can, and a half. Yeah, get back Tied to. Tied with Daryl Taylor. Yeah, I said nine or ten, so I was way off. You I were guess. way off, yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, you I even know sports. <laughs> I think I think that you know that we we do get excited, rightfully so, about the the draft, and we'll yeah. be asking John that stuff. But you especially remember. on the heels of last year's draft, yeah. I'm a little more excited about oh, what are they going to do this year to top that? Yeah, but the free agency part of it is is really a big part of it, and that's why they have a a college director and a pro, you know pro guy that uh, that they have in their department and we'll talk to John about that tomorrow about you know some of the guys I know he's made some promotions uh, and so, um, yeah, Nolan Teasley and, you know, there are some of the other uh, guys, Willie Schneider, uh, that, they, that they have promoted. So it'll be interesting to hear, you know, what each one of those guys does and, you know, the, the blend between uh, when you're when it's about acquisition, it's about drafting and and free agency. And they're equally important. Well, and that's a, a good reminder right there. Don't forget to catch the debut episode of the John Schneider show tomorrow at 4 p.m. 
Seahawks GM will be on every Thursday with us between now and the first round of the NFL draft. We'll be live at the Virginia Mason Athletic Center tomorrow doing the show from there, so we'll have him in the room with us. That's the John Schneider Show tomorrow at 4 p.m., the debut happening tomorrow. All right. There could be an ideal draft scenario shaping up for the Seahawks team. We're going to get into that next with Wyman and Bob. This is Seattle Sports Station on 710. Wyman and Bob. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio. On Seattle Sports and the Seattle Sports app. All right, so there could be a nice scenario shaping up for the Seahawks when it comes to the draft because we read this earlier in the show in case you're just tuning in, but uh, Jason Lacanfora tweeting earlier today that uh let's see more than these are his words more than one nfl gm came away from the senior bowl fairly convinced that justin fields will be dealt by the chicago bears who currently own the number one overall pick again that's who knows mr right we talked about that with uh with ryan you know these gms often will say things that they want to get out there they get the the misdirection going now what what this would accomplish i'm not sure if it's not true but the idea that they could be dealing him away and maybe that maybe they're in line for what they love one of these other quarterbacks coming out this year. I'm not really sure, but it, it, it could benefit the Seahawks in that, you know, maybe Jalen Carter could be sitting there at five. If all the teams in front of them are looking, you know, depending on how it works, uh, you know, what kind of trades are made, but maybe Jalen Carter falls to them at five. And we did talk to uh, Jeff Dantzler of the Georgia radio network earlier about some of the players coming out, most notably uh, Jalen Carter. And here he is uh, talking about him and sort of compares him to Cortez Kennedy. He plays with those hips open. His upper body strength is incredible. He can twist to get between blocks. He can overpower. Another thing, too, that I always look at, and just like you guys follow the draft, we follow recruiting. For linemen, if they were great basketball players or wrestlers in high school, they usually turn out to be great players because they, they've just got that flexibility and, and what I guess the talking heads call the, those quick twitch muscles and fibers. And he was a tremendous basketball player in high school. I mean, I, he, he has a chance, and you never know what's going to happen. He really has a chance to be a dominating Pro Bowl caliber, ten year type inside player. We all know. I mean, the greatest defensive lineman in Seahawks history is Cortez Kennedy. Could he be a player uh, that good? Well, he's an all timer and a Hall of Famer. It, it wouldn't stun me if if he got to that kind of level. He is that good. Man, he's he's Jalen Carter's hype man. Yeah, he is. Goodness. Well, he's fired up about him. Um, yeah, I, I I guess if you call the games for Georgia. You're, you're probably seeing some really good players over the yeah, years. Yeah, yeah, you're seeing every moment. 14, 14 uh, guys went in the NFL, I think, from Georgia last year. Fifth, yeah, four, you 14, know what? 15, whatever it was. I think you're going to be on board with this, uh, with this Bob, with me here. Uh, what I really want is to see Chicago trade away Justin Fields and draft C.J. Stroud. <laughs> Another Ohio State quarterback. <laughs> the worst, like the one NFL franchise that's never really had a franchise quarterback. And if you go through all of them, I mean, pretty much everybody. Quit hating done. on Sid Luckman. Yeah, I mean, that's pretty much it. And then, you know, Ohio State has not put out any good NFL quarterbacks. So, yeah, yeah if, they were to, if they drafted C.J. Stroud, I just think it would have... 
Chicago would have to be due, right? I mean, come on, we're due. Or Ohio State's due. One of them are due. One of the two. We can produce an NFL caliber quarterback or one that can be a star. They've had, you know, obviously Ohio State quarterbacks in the league, but a star. But this is, you know, this could be, I mean, I think it would be good news just because the more quarterbacks that get picked, you know, and look, there could be, there could be what, three now? Uh, CJ Stroud, um, Bryce. Young, and then the other one I Will guess Levis. would be Will Levis. You know, and he's you know I know that Ryan Wilson, who we just talked to today, uh, he has him at seven going to the Raiders. So yeah, the more that happens, the more it seems like you're you've got a chance to get a really good either edge rusher or or defensive lineman like Miles Murphy. I really liked what I saw from him, but Jalen Carter, there there wasn't a lot to dislike. There wasn't a lot like I wasn't like yeah he could get off. Of the ball faster. No, he's, he's pretty a, good there. What about the uh, uh, Tyree Wilson, the guy? He's the one that is most in most of the mocks we've seen so far, and we're still early. But yeah. most of them, I would say that's the most common name attached to the Seahawks at five. And that's, that's again, assuming the Seahawks don't trade out of that spot. They well, stick I, at five. That's the name that I've seen the most. Yeah, well, to me, I, I feel like... That's because Jalen Carter is already selected. Assumed to be gone. Yeah. yeah so, but, but I don't know. Maybe I mean Tyree Wilson looks good. They they all look good. I just think of the the more you get somebody fishing for a quarterback because this was supposed to be the year of the quarterback, right? We heard that, you know, over the last couple of years that this was going to be the good year for it. So, you know, we'll see if there's some kind of a run on quarterbacks. Um, that would be that'd be a good thing, especially if the Seahawks have have Geno Smith locked up by the time that uh, that the the draft comes around and a little bit more clear on exactly what they need. If is it a no brainer for you that if Jalen Carter's there, you and let's say Tyree Wilson and Jalen Carter are both there, that it goes quarterback, 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 or whatever both ahead of them. Yeah, I mean, no. Is, it, it's, is the pick obvious to you? No, I don't think it's ever obvious, you know, just because this might be like a once-in-a-lifetime type of edge rusher. You know, you might have like an Aiden Hutchinson or something in this Tyree Wilson. But, you know, I feel like the need for Jalen Carter is a little bit more. Mm-hmm. You know, I feel like you can get okay, you know, okay results with uh, with Boye Mafe and, and Daryl Taylor that, you know, if no, you get so, that. Yeah. yeah, and if you get the, the big daddy inside like that that's a really good start to anchor in your defense yeah and the other the other part of our conversation with uh with Danzler was <laughs> with you know it's just in talking to all these guys i'm always interested to hear what all right what are they missing do they need to get bigger do they need to work on this they you know there's always something as a young kid coming into the nfl before i could even get the question out he's like nothing nothing Remember, yeah. he was just, yeah. no, he has no weakness, no perceivable weaknesses in there anywhere, which, hey, that's awesome. I mean, if if he falls to the Seahawks, I will be incredibly happy if they elect to actually select him there when, if he's available, I'll be even happier because that's, mm-hmm. there's no certainty that the Seahawks take him if, even if he's sitting there. We feel like they should. We feel like, well, that's the obvious pick. Come on. But, you know, the, the Seahawks are, they're, they're mad scientists, John yeah. Schneider and Pete. They do things that are... Not by the book. So would you would you be stunned if Jalen Carter were sitting there and they they traded back two spots or something? Yeah, no, that uh, nothing would surprise me. I don't think because <laughs> yeah. And then afterward, you hear what they were thinking, and look, you know, they've had some times where they've been they've been wrong with things, just like everybody else. But I mean, it's always fascinating to know what they're thinking, and that you know, and it also brings to light that not every you know nobody thinks the same. I mean, there are certain players where even. 
even if it's like a no, you think it's a no brainer. There's still like two or three teams that are like, nah, I didn't like this about him, you know. Yeah. So and the, and the Seahawks just have a different way of looking at at things. So yeah, it, uh, nothing would surprise me. Wouldn't that just send the the twelves into a tizzy though? There he is, because I I think the closest we've seen to that was when Patrick Queen was sitting there, and they could have taken him, and mm-hmm. they didn't. And that's they took Jordan Brooks, right? Yeah. Yeah, and I think Queen was the next. Was he the next pick? Right? Yes. Yeah. Yes, he was. And that's not nearly as high profile, but there was some hype around Patrick Queen. And oh man, he's sitting there, and everybody just assumed, well, yeah. there you go. There's the obvious pick, and they didn't go for it. And there was some hand wringing going on there. Can you imagine this at five? If somehow it works out, there's Jalen Carter sitting there, and they just they either take a different player or they trade out of that spot. Yeah, well, and I think if people hear the name Patrick Queen, they'll probably get look up his stats and send in, yeah, see, because he does he does have better stats. He's made more plays. I mean, he's he's got a touchdown. He's got ten sacks. Um, he's got four forced fumbles, bunch of passes defensed. I mean, he's he's that's th- the biggest one. Three interceptions, according to Sauce Gardner and New York <laughs> Jeff Hens. So yeah, I mean, look, he he's more a little bit more of a playmaker. I still think Jordan Brooks is a more solid. Uh, player that you build your defense around but yeah i mean it's those kinds of things are going to happen and you know it's it, it just like i said i i'm always fascinated by these players that are supposed to be just rock solid you can mm-hmm. you know you can can't guarantee miss. can't miss yeah yep all right coming up we'll get some great draft insight from ryan wilson of cbs sports he will join us next here with wyman and bob this is seattle sports station on 710